Welcome to this message from Eastwood Baptist Church, one church with two locations in Bowling Green and Alberton, Kentucky. To learn more, visit eastwoodbc.org. Now, may the Lord bless you in the hearing of His Holy Word. If you would, uh, grab your copy of God's Word. Go with me to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. We're going to finish up this just short series. Listen, we could have said so much more, so much more about the idea of social justice, um, but we've just kind of condensed it into three things, and I hope that at least um, we've begun to understand these things, we've begun to have a response uh, to these things, and so um, over the last couple of Wednesday night gatherings, I mean, I feel like we've taken a pretty good look. Uh, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day, they said, man, we've heard terms we never even knew about, all right, never even thought to think about, and that's okay, that's good, um, as we, because the world's using these things, right, and so we have to have, uh, we have to be sharp, we have to be ready, and um, as we think about these things, that's part of it, guys, as they bring, they introduce this language that you're like, well, I mean, why do they call it that? Well, that's part of the thing, right, they've got to come up with this language that makes it sound totally new and something, but let's just be honest, this is old, really, right? Like a lot of things that kind of creep in, they're old things just sort of repackaged, okay? But the contemporary movement that's called social justice, again, as we've said all along, it's just the street name for what's called critical theory in the academy, okay? So social justice is the street name for what's called critical theory in the academy. Now, over the last two weeks, um, the last two gatherings, I've defined social justice this way. It's the pursuit of equal outcomes in society. All right, that, that's kind of the definition we've been working with, all right? But it hit me today that social justice, I, 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 I'm missing something in that definition. And here's what I think I'm missing, is the idea of oppression. Because that's really the key to all this, right? We said last time, last week when we looked at comparing Christianity to wokeness, we saw that the primary problem from a woke worldview, from a social justice worldview, from a critical race theory worldview, the primary problem is not sin, it's oppression, all right? And so here's how today I would define social justice. It's the pursuit of the, eradic erradi the eradication of oppression in society, evidenced by equal outcomes between groups. Let me say that again. Social justice is the pursuit of the eradication of oppression in society, evidenced by equal outcomes between groups. Remember, as we said all along, in, in social justice, in critical theory, there are no individuals. No individuals. Everybody is inextricably linked to your identity group. And what's true for your identity group, whichever group it is you're talking about, whether it be male, like again, we all have, in, from this worldview, we all have different identity groups that we could latch onto in the moment, in the context, okay? So male, white, married, you know, we could go all these different things. What's true for the group is true for the individual. Also remember that in social justice, inequality equals injustice, all right? So any, any inequality that exists whether it be income, whether it be whatever. Any inequality that exists is automatically injustice and is automatically oppression, all right? Automatically, it's defined that way. 
any and every inequality is morally wrong. So the fact that, you know, Jake can run a, a 4640, is that about right? <laughs> and I run a 5640. There must be something going on. That, that's an inequality. There has to be something going on there to explain that. And the explanation from this worldview is that it's some kind of oppression. He had a better diet growing up. His mom and daddy got him the, the, the training that he needed to excel, to up his 40 time. We could just go on and on, right? You see how this spins out here? No, it's not the fact. It has nothing to do with the fact that, that, that Jake worked harder. Uh, he ate better. He, you know, we could just go on and on with the things that actually happened. But in, again, in critical race theory in, in, or in social justice in general, all right, the only explanation of inequality is oppression. They are a one-note song. Or you could say it this way. Social justice is a hammer that believes there are only nails in the world. And every nail has the word oppression written on it. Every nail. There are no screws in the world. There are no tacks in the world. There are no staples in the world. Only nails from this viewpoint. And again, as I've said the last two gatherings, under the umbrella of social justice or critical theory is a whole litany of areas of, 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 of focus, okay? There are critical theories of gender, critical theories of sexuality, critical theories of crime and corrections, critical theories of, eco of economics, critical theories of race, right? That's the one we've kind of been focused on. The, the list goes on and on. It's a really long list. It's a growing list. Last week, we dove into the area of critical race theory because that's the one that is particularly making its way around right now. It's the one that is at the forefront of the discussion, all right? Now, a few years ago, it wasn't critical race theory. It was critical gender theory. Critical gender theory. Remember when it was all the rage to change the pronouns? Remember that? That old, you know, he, she, him, her, his, her, his, hers, himself, herself. All of those had to be replaced with these new pronouns. Because remember, from this viewpoint... Even language itself is, 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 is oppressive. The fact that someone else gets to define your reality is oppression itself. And so we heard things like Z, Zim, Zer, Z, Z self, Tater, Tim, Terse, Terself. I mean, it's just babble, right? Just babble. But in the last couple of years, the shift has moved from critical gender theory to critical race theory. And last week, we compared the worldview of critical race theory to Christianity. And what I'm convinced we found out, I hope that you agree with me, is that critical race theory doesn't claim to be a religion, but it's very religion-like in that it puts forth a worldview, an entire worldview. And that worldview is not Christian in the least. Its truth claims are very different from the truth claims of Christianity. So going forward with the worldview of critical race theory as the lens that we're seeing the world through will lead us away from Christianity, not to Christianity. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that a person who holds the tenets of critical race theory is not a Christian. They could be a Christian, all right? Sometimes we as Christians, we hold things that are not true and still they're secondary things and, and still claim Christ, right? So a person can be saved, of course, and believe these things. But here's what I'm saying when I say that. 
What I'm saying is that the tenets of critical race theory are not Christian and will not pull you toward Christ. They will pull you away from Christ. So upon the authority of the Word of God, I believe we should toss out critical race theory. It's rotten to the core. And it produces bad fruit. Right? You know, the Bible tells us that we'll know these things by the fruit. And you just look out on the streets and you look out across the thing. It does not bring Christ-like fruit out. It doesn't. It brings destruction. It brings jealousy. It brings hatred. It, 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 all these things, right? We can just go on and on with what it brings out. Anger. But again, we're being real here. Critical race theory and those who would espouse it, they are actually addressing some real problems. Right? That's the... That's the counterbalance to this. There are some real problems in this world that they're trying to address. Not every problem that they claim is a problem is an actual problem, okay? But it does seek to address some real problems, namely the problem of racism. Now, that is a real problem. And those problems need to be addressed, all right? But we don't want to adopt a critical way forward. We want to adopt a biblical way forward forward, okay? So tonight, I need to go back here and get the little clicker thingy. So tonight, guys, we're going to look at answering this question. What is the biblical way forward, it should say, what is the biblical way forward dealing with current and past issues of race and racism? What is the Bible's counter-argument to critical race theory. What are the things that you and I should believe? What are the things that you and I should uphold? And so I, I, as I've thought about this, I've written down 10. I could have written more. I probably could have written less. But 10 is where I landed. It felt like a good number. All right? And uh, so here we go. Okay? Here's the thing. All right? 10 things that Christians should do. Now, we can't be accountable for the world. Cannot be accountable for what the world does. But for as for me and my house... As for me and my church house, as for me and my family and my church family, we will strive to do these 10 things. Now, we're not going to do these 10 things perfectly. None of us will do these 10 things perfectly. But that's what we're going to strive for, and that's what we're going to uphold as the standard, okay? The first one is this. We will cling to the authority of the Bible for the lens through which we see the world. And reject any and every human philosophy that contradicts the viewpoint found in Scripture. This is the key. This is the foundation, guys. The Bible is our authority, right? As we come to this, is it going to be sociologists and philosophers? Or is it going to be the Bible? Is it going to be the apostles and the prophets? 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 is a verse that you probably have memorized. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The Bible that you and I hold in our hands, whether it be a hard copy or an electronic copy, it's the, word, it's the very word of God. Like if you want to know what's really real, you look to the Bible that's where it's really found, right? We can have notions and we can have 
um, theories and we can have hypotheses. But if you want to know what's really real beyond a shadow of a doubt, you look to the Word of God, which is revelation. It is truth come to man from God. All right? That's why it's authoritative. This Bible is the Word of God. Colossians 2.8. We looked at that last week. Remember what it said in Colossians 2.8? It said, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. You see, there, there are a lot of man-made philosophies out there. A lot of traditions that we receive. Even you, think about some of the traditions that you were brought up in that you had to throw off because you got into the Word of God and you said, well, that wasn't true. I mean, I've got, I've got a big list of those things. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Maybe you did. And, and you didn't have to throw off as much as I had to throw off. But I had to throw off a lot of worldly wisdom, human tradition, vain philosophy, empty deceit. It wasn't according to Christ. And guys, that's the thing, we've got, to, we've got to just settle this right now in our hearts. Are we going to be people of the book or are we not? Are we going to be people of the book or are we not? It's not only authoritative here as far as that goes, it's trustworthy. The Word of God is trustworthy. It's inerrant is the word that we use. It's a very important word that means that it's all true. Not part of it is true and part of it is false. It is all true. It's also infallible. Now, here's what infallible means. Infallible means that the Word of God will forever be true. There's never going to be something that's going to come along and knock it off of its pedestal. It will forever be true. It doesn't matter what year it is, 2020, I don't know, 3020, I don't know. Who, who knows how long the Lord's going to tarry you, right, as far as that goes. But it will always be the top dog. Scripture will always be the top dog. It will always stand as the authority that we have. It's also, and this really comes down to a lot of it, guys, is that it's sufficient. The Word of God is sufficient. The Bible's enough. The Bible really is all that we need to equip us for life and faith and service. Listen, I'm, I'm thankful for sociologists. I was trained as one. That was my undergrad. You know, a, lot of, a lot of helpful things can come out of that. All right? But if there was never another sociologist on planet Earth and all we had was the Word of God, we would have enough. Right? Philosophers as well. Right? I love, you know, philosophy. That's cool. You know, I, I love a lot of those things. It's, it's interesting. But again, if we have the Word of God, we have what we need. We have enough. All right? So we're going to cling to the authority of the Bible for the lens through which we see the world. And we're going to reject any and every human philosophy that contradicts that viewpoint that's found in Scripture. So that's the first thing we've got to do. We've got to settle that. Second, I want to say this. Secondly, we're going to, we're going to declare that every single person is made in the image of God and is therefore inherently worthy of full dignity and of infinite value. Every single person, regardless of skin color, regardless of, of, of nationality, ethnicity. We could go on and on with all these different things, all these different intersections that we could bring in. I was just up in Owensboro yesterday, and our waiter, our waiter 
um, had the longest, craziest fingernails that I'd ever seen. Really long. They, they were like that long, and they were black and white and you know, kind of matched the outfit. Um, and he was a really nice guy. Yeah, it was a he. And you know what? I, again, I, I did, we didn't engage in much of a conversation past you know, ordering and and uh, one of the, one, somebody actually did get to kind of share the gospel a bit just through a track and, and things like that. We didn't get into his details. We had our assumptions. But here's what I know. That man was made in the image of God. And not only did he perhaps have some sexual issues, um, he, he was a black man as well, right? He was made in the image of God, just like you and I are. He's inherently worthy of full dignity and of infinite value. He is of infinite value, guys. And that's every single person. Listen, racism is opposite of that, right? Some people are lesser than others. Some are more whatever than others. Now, here's the deal. That's not Christianity. Anywhere racism and, and Christianity are, are in the same breath, they're opposite, right? They absolutely are. Christianity opposes racism. Now, here's the truth. Honestly, honestly, critical race theory is a form of racism itself. Ascribing higher value, higher dignity to people according to the color of their skin. It's just a different skin color, right? It's just a different skin color that they're ascribing the value to. It, it, it's, it's taking the system of, of, of racism and flipping it on its head. It, it's what, what some would call reverse racism. It's just flipping it over. Martin Luther King Jr., he said, I have a dream. I, I, I kind of mentioned this last week, but I wanted to actually quote it this week. He said, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And here's what I tell you. Critical race theory judges people by the color of their skin. Plain and simple. It is anti-MLK, but more importantly, it's anti-Bible in that regard. So we've got to maintain this. We, we will not be moved off of that. Every single person, every single person is that right there. But third, we want to say this. We'll maintain that the, primary, that the primary problem in our world is sin. And that every person is a sinner in need of Jesus, the Savior. Every single person, guys. When you go back to the book of Genesis, you see where the problem came in. It didn't say, oh, you oppressed and ate the tree. No, you sinned and ate of the tree, right? So sin is that problem. It's not oppression. Now, where there is oppression, oppression is only the fruit of the deeper problem of sin. So again, critical race theory, as it tries to, or, or just, just critical theory in general, as it tries to address oppression, it's only addressing the fruit. It doesn't get to the real thing, the real problem. All right, it doesn't get to the real problem. Now remember, Again, CRT sees oppression merely as inequality. Again, guys, that's not biblical even, all right? Let me move on, though. Number four. 
here's what we're going to do. Here's where our focus is going to be. As biblical Christians, as a way forward, we're going to focus on the unity that we have in Christ. We're going to celebrate any secondary differences. And we're going to guard against any scheme that pits us against one another. That's what we're going to do. Right? And I, I, all three of those are really important. All three of those. What you focus on makes a difference. Because that's why when we looked at Resolution 9 of the last two gatherings from the Southern Baptist Convention in 2019, and they said that basically you can sinlessly use critical race theory and intersectionality to inform your worldview, I said, that is not true. That is not true because it focuses. See, here's the deal. It's like saying, yeah, I can use that dynamite to perform heart surgery. Can't do it. It's going to blow things up. It, that's what it was meant to do. Critical theory in general was meant to blow things up. That's its job. It will not bring things together. It will not bring people together. So we're going to focus here. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. I, I told you to turn to Colossians 3. Colossians 3. But I want you to focus in here with me on verse 11. Notice what it says here. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Now, for the person who is into intersectionality right here, man, they would have a field day, right? Oh, this is all kinds of groups. We can really pit these against one another and, and see which one's oppressing whom and all these things, okay? But these are different identity groups. That's what he's saying here. All of these different identity groups together. And he's saying this, here in the church, here in Christianity, that stuff doesn't rise to the level that your Christianity does. Now, a barbarian, we always think of Conan, right? Barbarian, it was actually a kind of a term of derision coined by the Greeks for all who had not been trained in the Greek language and culture. They basically thought that when someone spoke another language, it kind of sounded like bar, 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 bar. Right? They just like, they're just over there saying all this silly, all these silly words, bar, bar, bar. So they started calling them barbarians, okay? Now, the Scythians... The Scythians, they were an ancient nomadic warlike people that invaded the Fertile Crescent. They're in the 7th century B.C. They were noted for savagery. They were the most hated and feared of all of the so-called barbarians. So the Scythians were like, I mean, if, if Conan was real, he probably came from the Scythians. You know what I'm saying? He was that, that kind of dude, all right? And so notice what he says here. All those things, all of those things are not as important as our identity in Christ. Now, in Galatians chapter 3, we get male and female thrown in. Verse 27 and 28, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So, are these identity groups erased then? Well, no, they're not erased. I, I, I'm still a male, and, 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 and the ladies here are still females, and so on and so forth. But these identities become at least secondary. That's what that means. We focus on our new primary identity, which is Christ. Guys, that's the most important thing. Does it matter that I'm male? Yes. 
but it doesn't matter most. It doesn't matter most. Because that moves to a secondary issue. And all these other things, Gentile, Jew, slave, free, male, female, they all become at least secondary. And here's the cool thing. Here's the cool thing about Christianity. We say, that's actually amazing. Let's celebrate those differences. Let's celebrate the fact that Ben has curly hair and, what? I mean, that, who has straight? Who has straight hair? I'm looking out here, right? All right. Yeah, Sherry has straight. There we go. She raised her hand. Or that, well, I'm not going to talk about hair anymore. I'm just going to quit right there before I, before I get in trouble. I'll just keep my mouth shut. <laughs> you know? So we celebrate those things. I think it's amazing, guys. Listen, I'm so, I've said this before. I'm, I'm so encouraged, so encouraged on Sunday morning when I look out and I see people who aren't like me, who aren't like me worshiping God. That's beautiful. Right? God is glorified in that. It's, it's, it's beautiful. It's glorious. And we celebrate that. It's not a matter of division. It's a matter of celebration and worship. We've got to celebrate it. But then third, as we say here, we've got to guard against any scheme that pits us against one another. And that's what CRT does. That's what critical theory in general does, but CRT certainly does that. It doesn't focus on the things that unifies us. It focuses on the things that divide us, that are different, and it puts those differences in the first tier and says, you can't understand me because you're a woman and I'm a man. And all of a sudden, there's the division. You can't understand me because I'm white and you're black. There's the division again. Right? I mean, it's all these things that pits us against one another. Not just you can't understand me, but you're trying to oppress me. Actually, not me. I'd be the one oppressing, right? According to CRT, I'm the, I'm the straight white male, you know? That's like the, the trinity of the Antichrist in CRT, right? Straight white male, watch out. The devil right there, <laughs> okay? Number five. Here's number five. Is that we will put on godly actions and attitudes that promote harmony with others, especially those not of our quote-unquote tribe. And when I say tribe, I, I just mean the, 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 the folks that we run with, the folks that we hang with, the folks that we identify with. Man, I, I, as I was reading Colossians 3, Colossians 3 is like the shotgun. Not even a shotgun. What, Ed, what's, what's bigger than a shotgun? Is there like a, a cannon that shoots out like big cannonballs all at one time? Right? I mean, it, it's bigger than a shotgun. Colossians 3 right here is like that kind of weapon against critical race theory. I'm telling you, it is. Look at what it says in verse 12 through 15. Notice the actions and the attitudes. Put on then as God's chosen ones. Holy and beloved. Here's what you're to put on. Compassionate hearts. Kindness. Humility. Meekness. Patience. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord's forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Guys, right there, 
those things, when I read those things, that, that doesn't come from a critical race worldview. Critical race theory calls us to not be patient, to not bear with one another, to separate, to not forgive, to hold wrongs over not just people who wronged them, but their ancestors of the people who wronged you. So on and so forth. It, it, it's not there. And certainly, that love is not there. It doesn't bind everything together. Philippians 2 you know, goes, goes, brings in another aspect of it. It says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, this is Philippians 2, verses 1 through 8. Any comfort from love, any participation in the Holy Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, listen to this, count others more significant than yourselves. That's the opposite of the critical worldview. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. He, though, who is in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Guys, these are the kinds of actions and attitudes that we read right here in Colossians 3 and in Philippians 2. And we could go to many other passages that promote harmony with others, especially those not of our tribe. And these are actions and attitudes that promote reconciliation. Because remember, there are real problems in the world. People have really hurt people. And I've really hurt people, and people have really hurt me. But these are the kind of actions and attitudes that bring about reconciliation. And that's God's desire, right? He says that we would, as it says here, uh, back there in Colossians chapter 3, that, that we would bind together in perfect harmony. Not discord, not dissonance. Harmony. Third, or not third, six. <laughs> Number six. We will call sin what the Bible calls sin and seek to help one another to eradicate it from our lives. Uh, guys, again, think about, as we saw last week, the things that were considered sinful, all right? Um, that, that a person, through critical race theory, is sinful simply because they are white and their ancestor did, did something wrong, all right? Or, or they define racism in a new way. All right, it's not just that, that I think I'm better than this person over there. Now systems all of a sudden. That's the new definition, right? Remember the news all about that where all of a sudden they've added to the dictionary this new definition of what racism is. And now it's systemic. It has nothing to do with whether or not you're doing something moral or immoral. It simply is and it's simply there. And so, guys, we got to call what the Bible calls sin and to seek to help one another to eradicate from our lives. Now, remember, we also said last week that according to critical race theory, um, white people can be racist and are racist by definition. You can't escape that. But people of color cannot be racist according to that theory. 
And we see clearly in Scripture that no one is above that. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we all struggle with these things. So we're going to call what the Bible calls sin, sin. We're not going to let these new definitions. It's all a word game a lot of times, right? It's a word game. Where do we go to find what's really real? The Bible. And we define things by biblical language. Seven. We'll seek biblical standards of justice and advocate for justice while standing against partiality and vengeance in every facet. Biblical standards of justice. We turn to the Word of God to understand what is right and what's wrong and how we should treat fellow man, how we should love our neighbor as ourself, all right? And we, again, we, we, we clearly understand that it doesn't always work out well, right? Again, there, there is injustice in this world. And we have to advocate as Christians. We have to advocate for justice. It's, it's part of it. Listen to what the Word of God says. Isaiah 61, verse 8. For the Lord loves justice. Isaiah 61, verse 8. I hate robbery and wrong. So right there, God says He loves justice. If He loves justice, what does that mean? He hates injustice. Micah 6, 8. One of the favorite passages that folks often quote on this subject. God has told you, O man, what's good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? But notice there, notice there, He has told you, O man, what is good. Where do you find out what's good? Where do you find out what's right and wrong? From God. It goes back to this idea I said a moment ago that we will seek biblical standards of justice. And we're going to advocate for justice. Listen, let's just be true. Let's be honest. Um, a lot of us are guilty of sitting in silence a lot of times. Because when, there's, when there are instances of injustice, it, it doesn't affect us. And so we have quietly sat by. And so it's important for us that we use the voice that we do, not only do justice, but we advocate <laughs> for justice. But, but, if we're going to advocate for justice, then we cannot advocate for partiality. Partiality is favoring one person over another because of some thing that they bring to the table, okay? Listen to what the Bible says. Deuteronomy 1, 17 and 18, you shall not be partial in judgment. You shall hear the small and the great alike. You shall not be intimidated by anyone. For the judgment is God's, and the case that is too hard for you shall bring to me, and I will hear it. Leviticus 19.15 You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. Now you're saying, well, where does partiality come into critical race theory? Well, typically it comes in in the idea of intersectionality, right? The more oppressed a person is, the more intersections of oppression a person has. They're the one who gets the pride of place. They're the ones that we favor. They're the ones, if it's a court battle, doesn't matter what happened, you give it to the person, that so on and so forth. All right? Now, that's partiality. We also know that there can be partiality in other ways as well. Okay? There certainly can be. Right? Again, we've seen situations over the years of police brutality. And all of those things. Again, in this conversation, it's trying to address some real issues. 
And there are some real issues, right? So partiality, guys, must be stood against in every aspect. Every aspect. Even we talked about along, uh, you know, sort of along the way of, of crime and corrections. Oftentimes, uh, the, the sentence that you get and the length of that sentence oftentimes is determined by the color of your skin, it seems, or things like that, all right? And so there's certainly some partiality that goes on across the board in every aspect. Guys, that, that, human beings, let's just be real. We're fallen, and one of the sins that we're fallen to is partiality. We've got to guard against it. And we also have to guard against vengeance. Now, that's why I put that in here, vengeance. We've got to stand we gotta, we, we got to seek biblical standards of justice and advocate for justice while standing against partiality and vengeance. Again, oftentimes, a lot of the situation in the world is not just that we want oppression to stop. We want to flip it. We want to give you some of your own medicine. Right? And, and again, you, you read some of the folks that are very radical in the critical race movement. And, um, it, you know, like that movie that came out on Netflix. I, I didn't watch it, but... I remember reading about it, and it was like an alternate universe where white people were slaves and black people were masters. And folks were really excited about it. This is great. Uh, I heard, um, I, I don't know if y'all, y'all probably don't watch Saturday Night Live, and I don't really watch it either. Um, but this past weekend, um, Dave Chappelle was on there, and um, he was doing a monologue and a, some comedy and things like that. And somewhere along the way, he said this, toward the end there, because he, he, he moved from funny to serious, or actually, depends on, he thought it, a lot of it was funny, but um, he said, you police officers, when you put your uniform on and walk out the door and you tremble, good, now you know how I feel. I mean, he, he said things like that, and he, he went on to say more. There's that idea of vengeance, Right? I want you to experience everything I got to experience and more. But that's not God's desire for us, right? That's not the heart of, of Christ. All right, enough on that. Let's go to number eight. Going into rapid, rapid round here, rapid round here. Number eight, we, while unable to repent for other people's sins, will grieve over past sin and strive to go sin no more. Guys, again, there has been real sin in the past. But you and I can't repent for somebody else's wrong. We can't. But what we can do is that we can grieve over past sin. We can call past sin, sin. Don't be afraid to do that. If it was sinful, say it was sinful. But then we strive. How do we go forward? We go and sin no more. Right? That's what we strive for. Number nine. And this one's important, I think. Is that we will see the providential hand of God in every part of our history and rejoice that while not everything is good, God works all things together for our good. Now this one's kind of a bitter pill to swallow. Because let's just be honest, a lot of the situation that's talked about in critical race theory was not good and is not good. Chattel slavery not good. Man-stealing and kidnapping, not good. But God promises 
that even in those moments of great wickedness where man is doing the opposite of what God would have them to do, that God's working that to the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. That doesn't get the sinner off the hook, but it does help us to understand that there's a depth. There's a depth to our suffering that is being turned for our good. I, I, I immediately think about the story of Joseph, and I don't have to go into great detail because you know the story of Joseph. You talk about injustice, crazy injustice in that man's life, crazy injustice, hated by his brothers, thrown in a well to be killed, only to be sold into slavery, gone into Potiphar's house where he is wrongly accused of sexual abuse, gets put into prison, eventually makes it all the way to Pharaoh's court, right? A lot of injustice over the course of his life. But here's what he said coming out of that. Genesis 50, 20. As for you, talking to his brothers, his brothers right there in front of him, whom he had just given food sometime back to save the entire family, the ones who threw him away and sold him into slavery. As for you, you meant it evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So guys, even in these moments, like there has to be something in our hearts, again, for all people, because there's, every person in here could, could, could stand up and testify of a time when you have suffered at, in life at the hands of someone else. And God's promise is that the person meant it for evil, but God is working that for the good of those who, are called in, uh, who, who love God and called according to his purpose. So guys, we've got to see the providential hand of God in every part of our history and rejoice that while not everything is good, God works all things together for our good. And in one sense, guys, that, that changes the bitterness of our hearts a bit, right? It didn't, it didn't um, when you see Joseph there, remember it says that he had to leave for a moment because he was weeping so hard, he was so broken. And his flesh wanted to kill him. But in the end, he saw God's providential hand. And he marveled. And we've got to look for that as well. Finally, this. Number 10. Is that we will continually yearn for the day when Christ brings heaven with him to this broken earth and makes all things new. That's the ultimate cure. That's the ultimate hope. 1 Corinthians 16, 22. Oh, Lord, come. Or more specifically, I guess, actually, our Lord, come. Maranatha. Maran, Maranatha. Maranatha, right? That's, that's the Greek there, or the Aramaic phrase. Our Lord, come. Maranatha. Maranatha. Revelation 22, verse 20. Jesus says, surely I'm coming. And John the Revelator says, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. There's a lot of problems on earth. 
and there are going to be a lot of problems until the problem solver comes back. And so guys, as Christians, we're going to listen, we recognize that we live in an imperfect world. And yet one day we're going to be rescued from that. And so that, that gives us a different hope. Our hope is not in the government. Our hope is not in, um, uh, in some sort of theory that's going to force people to do what we want them to do and so on and so forth. Our hope is in Jesus. So when it comes to critical race theory, social justice, wokeness, and Christianity. Some would see it as a railroad track. You've got two pieces of that track going forward parallel to one another. But I hope that you've seen through this series that it's not a train track where Christianity and wokeness run side by side. It's actually a fork in the road. It's a fork in the road. And you have to decide which road you're going to take because it's a divergence. It's not a convergence. It's not a parallelism. It is a divergence. You have to choose which way you're going to go. Here's my final prayer, and I think this is God's prayer. May redeemed individuals from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation come together in harmony as the body of Christ. Let me make this more real. Let's let's bring it right here. May the redeemed of Eastwood Baptist Church from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation come together in harmony as the body of Christ. And may we take that message to the world. Hi there, this is Pastor Ben. I have something really important to ask you, but first, I want to say thank you for taking the time to make this digital connection with us through our podcast. I hope the message you just listened to was a blessing, but an even greater blessing than this digital connection would be for you to connect with us in person this coming Sunday at one of Eastwood's two campuses where we get the joy of living life together in Jesus' name. And now for that really important question, which is the most important question you'll ever answer. Where do you stand before God? Now, based on what you've done, the straightforward answer is that you stand guilty and condemned before God. You are a sinner who completely deserves God's wrath forevermore in hell. And I deserve the same thing also. I mean, every person does. Guys, that's terrible news. And even worse is the fact that there's nothing you can do in and of yourself to change that. You need a Savior. But I have good news. God loved the world so much that he sent Jesus to be your savior. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you cannot live, and he stood condemned on the cross, dying the death you deserve. And three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead to prove to everybody that he is indeed the savior of the world. And now Jesus longs to change your standing before God by making a trade with you. He desires to take what you've earned, which is the wrath of God in hell, and to give you in return what he has earned, which is the blessing of God in heaven. When this trade happens, instead of standing guilty and condemned before God, you will stand forgiven and righteous with the promise of everlasting life. 
So what must you do to have your standing before God changed? First, admit to God you are a sinner. Second, hate your sins. Turn from them and ask God to forgive you. And finally, turn to Jesus in faith and love, putting your complete hope in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and follow him until the day you die. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, Jesus is ready to make this trade with you. And I pray that you would trust in Jesus and be saved. Thank you again for connecting with us. And I hope to see you soon at Eastwood Baptist Church.